welcome to this latest edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am your host, Jake Novak. And once again, my friends, it has been another week filled with very important and interesting news. Uh, and I'm going to focus on really one story, but there are two aspects of it that need to be looked at. One is sort of the surface, maybe I could call it the Peshat, and the other is the below the surface, and I'll call that the Drash. But again, this is not really a, a Torah lesson. It's just, you know, a lot of times this is the way it works, even in secular matters, even in matters in the news. There is a story on the surface, and there's a story that's a little bit underneath the surface that doesn't necessarily contradict or give you something that you absolutely need to know about the surface story. But in this case, I think it does. It doesn't contradict, but it gives you that information that you need. So again, I, I would have to say that the story that really caught my attention the most over the last few days has been this story about the missing, now presumed murdered, Saudi-born journalist Jamal Khashoggi, who has been living in the United States and in countries other than Saudi Arabia for quite a, some time and going back and forth. And he reached decent prominence, especially for a foreign-born journalist. He had somewhat regular uh, contributions that he was making to the Washington Post, and that's not easy to do as a foreign-born journalist. And he was a regular critic of the Saudi government. I think before and, of course, after Mohammed bin Salman, the current crown prince of um, Saudi Arabia, who's really like the COO, he's really the chief operating officer of Saudi Arabia right now. His father, King Salman, is much, much more in the background. And by the way, that has often been the case in Saudi Arabia. The king of Saudi Arabia, whoever he may be, very often it's the crown prince who really runs things. And the king takes more of a chairman of the board role, comes in when he has to or feels like he has to. And the crown prince, whoever the king names is a crown prince, because that's how it works in Saudi Arabia. You do not necessarily choose your first and eldest born son. You choose among many of your sons. You can even choose a brother to be the crown prince, being the next you know, king. So in this case, it's been Mohammed bin Salman just since 2017. He took over after one of his half-brothers was relieved by King Salman, who they felt was not doing as good a job, so they decided to replace him with Mohammed bin Salman, who is really and truly the most powerful and influential person in the Middle East right now, not because he runs a democratic country, he doesn't, not because he runs the most powerful military in the regime, he does, in the region he doesn't, the Israelis still have the only democracy and the only really truly diverse and powerful military uh, consistently powerful one. Um, and again, don't get confused between paramilitary terrorist groups and an actual military. Uh, and, but he does have a combination of a decent military. It gets stronger pretty much every year in Saudi Arabia. They do have some military power. He does have the largest GDP, gross domestic product of any country in the Middle East. And yes, that's 99.9% .9 because of oil, but they have a massive GDP in Saudi Arabia. And it's because he has no worries of democracy issues. He's in control. All right? He's in control of that country, and it's very obvious. So, again, he's been in control for a long time. Uh, and not, not for a long time, for only about a year and change. And Khashoggi, this journalist from Saudi Arabia, has criticized both him, his predecessors, the king. He's done a, a bunch of this kind of stuff over the years. And for those of you who are not familiar with the story, this has been kind of the lead story in the news for, for, for several days, so I hope you didn't miss it, but if you did miss some of it, Khashoggi is a journalist who's been cr critical of the Saudis, and he was in the United States, 
he needed to get basically like a marriage license. And the Saudis decided, apparently the Saudis allegedly have used this opportunity, used that opportunity to get him to go to a Saudi consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, where he would apparently get his papers signed. But instead, they were doing that to lure him to either detain him, to either to torture him, or allegedly to kill him. We don't know for sure what happened. But the Turks who say, who are openly admitting that they've been bugging the Saudi embassy for years, say they have the video and the audio proof that this journalist Khashoggi has been tortured, has been killed, the whole thing. So that's what they're claiming. And that has been the big story all in a week, really. It's been, it, this, he, he disappeared on October 2nd, so uh, it's now October 15th. And so it's been almost two weeks now. And the story really perked up a couple of days after he was first reported missing. Okay, so what is this story? What does it mean? Uh, where has it been taken? Obviously, the first place it went was the mainstream news media in this country trying to get a reaction from the Trump administration about it. Because the Trump administration has really <laughs> strengthened ties with Saudi Arabia. And that doesn't make the Trump administration very unique among the last several presidents that we've had, with the exception of President Obama, who seemed to try to step away a little bit from Saudi Arabia in favor of Iran. And that's what the Iran nuclear deal had a lot to do with. That's what a lot of the other concessions Barack Obama made to Iran, which, by the way, we seem to find new concessions that he made to Iran every single, you know, every few months. There's a new revelation that was something else that we gave up to try to placate the Iranians. We looked the other way on Hezbollah activities in this country. We sent them packets of cash. We, again, pushed for that Iranian nuclear deal, which was dangerous for those who understand that the Iranian nuclear deal wasn't so much in the immediate story about nuclear arms. It was a lot about arming a country with $100 billion or more that is the number one sponsor of terrorism and paramilitary activities. So all those things were done, apparently, by the Obama administration to try to create some kind of new balance. Perhaps he felt it was just too pro-Saudi, too pro-Israel, the American policy was, and he wanted to get some favoritism into the Iranians in there somewhere. And again, the American people, the more they learned about it and the polling that came out about it, they apparently didn't like this. President Trump, as a candidate, Donald Trump, understood this and talked about it quite a bit on the campaign trail, and it seemed to do him very, very good. He may not have always had strong polling numbers across the board, but the 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 dislike of the Iranian nuclear policy was something that the Americans who were paying attention to it at least didn't like, the majority of them. And they seemed to have supported Trump's commentary about it, whether they supported Trump or not was another story. So the first thing is to try to put this at Trump's doorstep. Hey, you've been friendly with the Saudis. You have reestablished some of the ties that President Obama cut. So what are you going to do about this, Mr. President, this, this, this journalist who looks like he was killed? And, and President Trump's been pretty open for, you know, about it. He's been saying it's, it's a bad thing. It looks bad. It looks like this guy is dead. It doesn't look very good for the situation for him. It doesn't look good for the Saudis, and we're going to try to get to the bottom of it. And he said, we're angry about it. But then he added, when asked, the even more honest answer, which I don't think any other president in the history of this country would give an answer to the news media this quickly. But right away, the news media said, hey, are you going to cancel some of these defense contractor deals that you have with Saudi Arabia where we're sending them uh, weapons in return for $100, you know, $100 billion or so in return? And I think every other president before Donald Trump's answer to that question would have been no comment, would have been we're looking at it, uh, would have been, well, we'll see. 
you had a president who gave you an honest answer right away saying no. <laughs> no, we, we'll, we'll find another way to get back at the Saudis. We'll find another way to punish them or to show them our dislike, but we're not canceling these deals. This is, it means too much for the region. It means too much for our own economy. We're not doing it. Which again, I find personally that kind of honesty refreshing. I think it's so foreign to not only other politicians. Listen, if, you were another, if you're another politician out there in Washington and you're listening to Donald Trump, I get that he really makes you angry, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, because he puts that pressure on you. All of a sudden, you have to be as forthcoming as he is. And I'm not saying he is the most honest man out there. He really isn't. He does a lot of puffing. Those of you who are in the, in the business world know what puffing is. That's when you say, hey, I'm the best dry cleaner in the world. Obviously, there's no way to prove that, and you probably aren't. But he does a lot of that that the news media misinterprets as out and out lying. He does a lot of things. He says a lot of things that I, I don't personally believe. Like when he talks about how he never had a relationship with Stormy Daniels or some other women, I don't believe that. I don't think he's telling the truth. Okay, we get that. We get all of that. But all too often when it comes to policies and comes to where he's going and what he's thinking about a particular issue, he is very honest and he is very off the cuff. And you're, if you're a politician, this drives you crazy. Because politicians don't talk or act like normal people. They aren't forthcoming. And Trump is putting the pressure on now, I think, forever. New politicians from now on will have to be somewhat forthcoming, a lot more forthcoming than they've been. But again, I, I would almost excuse existing politicians for acting that way. The reason why I would almost excuse them is because this is the, the world that they were in, right? This is the world that they grew up in, that they came into the business in, the business of politics. I understand that. But what's really infuriating to me is when journalists get upset when Donald Trump is forthcoming and doesn't hide and doesn't play these little games. And they seem to be very upset that Donald Trump's telling them the, the, the out and out truth about what he thinks about Khashoggi. Would they rather be lied to and laud the, the Obama or the Bush or the Clinton who would lie to them about this and not tell them the truth? I, I, I guess so. I guess so. Um, but President Trump is being very honest about it, I think. He does not want to kill these deals he does not want to lose the money and, and the extra security to the region, and he doesn't want to let Iran off the hook for this. So again, this is all again because we don't also don't know exactly what's happened to Khashoggi yet. And I want to caution everybody listening here. This again, this is Novak now. I'm your host, Jake Novak, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I want to caution everybody here about taking for granted what's happened to Khashoggi. We know that the Turks are telling us all these terrible things have happened to him. We know that the Turks are in very much dispute with the Saudis. The Turks have decided to side with Iran in that never-ending Sunni versus Shia battle in the Middle East. So it behooves the Turks to make the Saudis look bad. Doesn't mean they're lying here. Doesn't mean that anything as good is happening to Mr. Jamal Khashoggi right now. Doesn't mean any of that. But also means that we don't know for sure. And until we get really definitive evidence, it would be nice if we stopped taking it for granted that these things are happening. So that's the first Real important thing we need to understand. We're getting an honest answer from President Trump, I think. We're getting a little bit of a grain of salt that we need to have when it comes to this issue. We need to be very careful that we know what's going on and we're not automatically assuming that for sure this guy has been killed, for sure he's been killed by the Saudis, for sure he's been killed by agents directly under the order of Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince. We can't take any of that for granted for sure until we know a little bit more. But I agree with President Trump. Doesn't look good for this guy, Khashoggi. It probably seems like the Saudis had something to do with it. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Let's get some more information before we start making $100 billion policies. Let's try to get policies that are based on fact and not on emotion. And I just want everyone to understand that. 
The other thing I think we need to understand very, very importantly is that we cannot be surprised by these kinds of things that happen from the Arab and Muslim countries in the Middle East. All right. The reason why this story has a little bit of legs is because nobody, I think, who has been following the news in the Middle East in the last several years can possibly be surprised by a story of some kind of human rights violation by Saudi Arabia. The Saudis commit human rights violations literally. This is not exaggeration. They commit human rights violations every single day. People are executed in Saudi Arabia for minor crimes. There are beheadings. People get their hands cut off. There are jailings in Saudi Arabia for no good reason. And Mohammed bin Salman, who has been doing some good reforms in Saudi Arabia as far as making better friendships with Israel, getting rid of some of the anti-American clerics, been doing all these good things. We also know that he imprisoned dozens and dozens of some of his own family members and some of the richest people and powerful people in Saudi Arabia for a couple of months. And yeah, it was in a fancy hotel in Riyadh, but one of those people who was, <laughs> you know, who was imprisoned, Prince Alawid bin Talal, came out 20 pounds lighter. So don't tell me that he was living in, in, in luxury conditions. So we know that the rule of law, habeas corpus, the whole thing, that doesn't apply in Saudi Arabia. And I'm not excusing it, and no one should be excusing it. It's just one of those things where we know this is nothing new. What is new, what is new, and here I'm getting into the drosh part of this edition of Novak now here on the Nahum Siegel Network. What is new is the American journalism establishment has decided to make a big deal about this story. Now, is this story a big story? I think it is. Somebody who writes as a journalist and gets a couple of his columns in national newspapers and is apparently or allegedly abducted, tortured, and murdered, that's a big story. So I don't, be I don't begrudge them reporting the story at all. But what does leave a bad taste in my mouth is someone who's been working as a full-time journalist for really a quarter of a century. What leaves a bad taste in my mouth is this feels like the first time the news media has noticed that Saudi Arabia does this kinds of stuff. Now, when Israel detains someone at a border for 15 minutes or when Israel detains a, a strong boycott activist like they're doing right now at, the, at Ben Gurion Airport, the news media is all over that all the time. You can just no, no doubt about it. But the Saudis who are doing things like this every single day, committing human rights violations against women, committing human rights violations against gays and lesbians, committing human rights violations against petty criminals, you name it, that you, you just can't get their attention. They're, they don't seem to care. Why do they care this time? Not only because it's some roundabout way to sort of criticize Trump and put some pressure on President Trump, but I think the biggest reason why they care this time is because it's a journalist. It's one of their own. Again, doesn't mean it's not a story. But boy, does that leave a bad taste in my mouth. Suddenly it's a journalist and now they care. Now they're interested. And to me, that's, that's not so great. It's not so great. And there's problems with that for a lot of obvious reasons. The biggest reason for me is because they're not paying attention to all the other murders and, and human rights violations by Arab and Muslim countries in the Middle East. That's the biggest problem. The second biggest problem is journalism, and I know this sounds like a joke, but journalism is a profession. We are professionals in this business. We are supposed to uphold certain levels of conduct, certain levels of ethics. And one of those levels of ethics and one of those levels of conduct that we have to keep if you're a professional in any profession is 
you are not like a trade union. You are not like basically some group, a, a, a special interest group that advocates for itself first, foremost, and always. It's one of those reasons why I have problems with teachers' unions. I, I think teacher, teachers deserve to be treated fairly. I like teachers to be really especially well-qualified and well-performing ones. I would like to see them be paid better, the whole thing. But when they start acting like trade unions and when they join unions and it's just about every, same you know, protections and same pay for every teacher up and down the line, whether he or she is good or not, and they just act like a union and not a professional, not really interested in the point of, and the goals of education. It's more about protecting their own group. Then I have a problem with it. And I have a problem that with journalists as well. Here's the funny thing about journalism, and I want to ask you all a question, because this has happened to me on several occasions, and I think it's happened to you. So let me put this in perspective. Have any of you ever gone to the doctor's office, and the doctor comes in, and he or she spends some time during that time with, the, with you at the patient, when he's supposed to be, he or she's supposed to be diagnosing and helping you. Have you ever had a situation where they complain to you about the insurance company reimbursement they're getting, or the Medicare reimbursement they're getting, or how... They spent so much hard work and, and spent so much money to get their medical degree, and they're not getting paid enough. This happens to me all the time. I, I, people I ask about this say, yes, this has happened to them. They know what I'm talking about. All right, there's one word for that kind of behavior. No matter how honest and true and, and really justified that argument is from the behalf of that doctor, on behalf of that doctor, there's one word for that kind of behavior, unprofessional. When you are working as a doctor and you're supposed to be diagnosing and helping a patient, it is not the time, it is not the time to be complaining about how much money you make or be complaining about how someone is not giving you a fair shake as, as, as a worker. Okay, that's just not the time. You want to send them a little pamphlet in a monthly mailing and saying, hey, I want to continue being your doctor, but your insurance company isn't paying me enough, and this is a problem, and you should really call them, and you should call your politicians about Medicare reimbursement. That's fine. Okay. But when we're doing the job of, when they're doing the job of, 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 of the medicine, when they're supposed to be dealing with you and your problem and your illness or your checkup, that's not the time to do that. The same is true. This is why I gave this example. The same is true for journalists. When you open up the newspaper or turn on CNN or turn on MSNBC or turn on Fox, to have the people on there who are supposed to be giving you the news, keeping you informed, deciding that they're going to get into an argument with the president, deciding that they're going to advocate for themselves, that's unprofessional. Okay, that is a definition of unprofessional. That's not what we do. If CNN or Wall Street Journal or Washington Post, if their PR departments their public relation department wants to issue a statement pushing back on something the president said or wants to issue a statement about issues that journalists are dealing with, that's totally fine. Let them do that. But you have a lot of people in journalism right now who are acting like the PR spokespeople for their either their profession or for their individual newspaper or television network or website. And that is not professional. It's not professional. And I fear that the journalism, that journalists interest and fascination in this Khashoggi case, the case of Jamal Khashoggi, is part and parcel of this unprofessionalism. Again, doesn't mean they shouldn't be covering it, but the fact that they have chosen to cover it and have chosen to make it a top, top story when so many other human rights violations have been committed over so many years and happens every single day, that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Now, if they want to continue on this track and continue to put pressure on Saudi Arabia, good. I hope they do it for Iran. I hope they do it for all the other countries, for Syria, for Yemen, Jordan, Egypt, you name it. 
go for it. But I think most of us know, most of you listening know they will not do that. They will move on to something else. And that to me leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. There was a similar issue like that going on right now that comes again, part and parcel of the problem where again, I, I make the point very often I, and, I, and I feel strongly about this. Journalism is a profession that it should be and it should be carried out by professionals. But we don't have a professional licensing organization here in this country. In other words, you don't have to go, you don't have to go to a journalism grad school or get a journalism degree in undergrad college to get to be a professional journalist. And by the way, I think that's okay. That's okay. Because free speech to me is something that necessarily doesn't necessarily have to be taught. The understanding of particular issues doesn't have to be taught. You would like certain norms from everything from spelling words correctly to using proper grammar to following the correct rules of journalism to be followed. But I don't think that someone has to prove that they've gone through that education to get a job. They need to prove that they're a good journalist, they're a good storyteller, that they tell the truth, that they're good at it. I certainly don't want them to have to go through professional licensing stuff. That I don't want. I don't want that. But I do want everyone to understand as a viewer, as a listener, as a reader, remember, though, that they haven't gone through all those things. So you choose which journalists you want to believe or don't believe, but you're going to have to do a little bit of groundwork yourself because there is no professional organization that's giving them that mark of approval. To get back to our doctor analogy here again, folks, we don't have a board-certified journalist. We don't have mandatory journalism school for American professional journalists. So you need to remember that. So you need to be the one who sort of checks up on things and make sure that these stories really work for you. And if they don't, they don't. You should know that you could be, be, you could be deceived at any moment. You could be slanted in a certain way at any moment because there's just no ramification for when journalists do things wrong or unprofessionally. And again, count me among the people who don't think that journalists should be punished beforehand or forced beforehand to take certain courses or get certain licensing. I don't believe in that. I do believe, though, that if they've broken certain rules, if they've slandered someone, if they've committed acts of gross negligence, like some journalists who seem to be interested in publishing personal addresses of people that they don't like, you know, that to me, that they should be punished legally. Go for it. You know, but again, it has to be done in a court of law. We're not, we're not talking about mob justice here. So in the case of Khashoggi, I'm just... I'm, I'm just worried that this is coming from journalists looking at a fellow journalist and deciding to make a big, bigger deal out of it than all the other innocent people who may or may not have been mistreated by this government in Saudi Arabia, by the previous regimes, the whole thing. It, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And actually, it's a taste that could very easily be solved, could easily, easily be fixed if the folks in the, the journalism profession would say, hey, you know what? We admit this. We should have been looking at this more over the years. Now we're looking at it because he's a fellow journalist, but, we, we, you know, we should do a better job of this. There's been precious little self-criticism in the journalism in industry overall. And certainly since Donald Trump was president, they've decided to trash it completely, in my opinion. You know, one of the great things about the way a good hospital runs is that when someone passes away in the hospital, even when it might be obvious that it, no one made a mistake, that has to be reviewed by all the doctors on staff. Everyone has to sort of do a quick review of it. And to me, that's great. I wish we would do that, something similar to that in journalism. And there just doesn't seem like any self-criticism or self-check on how we do things. And I want to give one more example of how this gets us in trouble as journalists. Just one quick more example. This weekend, I opened up my Twitter feed, and there were three tweets from a guy named Gabriel Sherman. 
Gabriel Sherman has a really nice position at Vanity Fair magazine. He has a really nice position as a paid contributor at MSNBC. He's done some documentaries, too. He's a highly paid, doing great professional journalist. Okay? And when I say professional, I mean he's getting paid. And he tweeted this over the weekend. Three tweets telling the story about how his 15-month-old toddler was knocked down by somebody in a hotel lobby who was walking too fast or something like that, not looking where he was going. I'm not really sure. You know, He, did, he was not clear on all the details of how this happened, but he says that, they, that his daughter, his child, I think it, what got, you know, I think it was his daughter, got her a bloody nose. And that the man and his wife, not only did they not apologize, but they said that, they, that this girl and, and, and her parents, Gabriel Sherman and, and the wife, I guess, should apologize to him. And the punchline, folks, I'm sure all of you, most of you have guessed this already. The punchline is that he blames this entire incident on Trump. <laughs> I kid you not. He's, he's, in fact, he started the tweet. He started the three-tweet three uh, dialogue about saying this is something that, that, that is because of Trump's America. And Trump's America people are mean and they're not apologizing. I mean, really, an incredible leap of just unbelievable thing that he's writing. And this is someone with one of those little blue checks on Twitter, someone who has a very lucrative job, and he will, A, not be punished for this, he will not lose his job for this, and he'll probably even do even better now that he's made this ridiculous accusation. By the way, every reply on Twitter to this guy was just mocking him, talking about how it makes no sense, what in the world is he talking about, the whole nine yards. Nevertheless, you know, the only other argument I could say here is that maybe he thought that he doesn't really believe this happened, or he doesn't really think it's because of Trump, but he thought he would put it in a tweet to see if he could get a lot of response. And he wants to show his employers, hey, I, I have a huge engagement. I have a huge talent for engagement. I can get people to tweet back at me at any time. So Gabriel Sherman tweets about his daughter being knocked down by a 60-ish-year-old man. If he blames Trump, people will start replying to it. Isn't that brilliant? No, I think that's unprofessional. That's... As a journalist, you can't do that. And again, to use a doctor analogy, let's say you're a doctor who isn't necessarily a doctor who deals with vaccines. Okay? You're not an immunologist or, or a uh, general practitioner. But let's say you're that same doctor and you tweet out a bunch of stuff about how vaccines are phony and you become one of those kind of anti-vaxxer types as a doctor and you're on staff at a hospital. And it has nothing to do with any of the work that you're doing at the hospital. But I can guarantee you that if you were... A, widely followed by Gabriel Sherman, the journalist, who has something like 90,000 followers, and you got the blue check, and you had a lot of followers, and you were a physician at a particular, at a particular um, hospital, and you wrote a couple of tweets about how vaccines are phony, you'd be out of that job, because it would be completely unprofessional. So no, I don't want the government or Donald Trump or the cops to come slap the cuffs on Gabriel Sherman for literally connecting an incident with his daughter being knocked over in a lobby and blaming it on President Trump which is just so ludicrous and, and outrageous. But so, no, I don't want the cops to come, and I don't want a mob to grab him, and I don't want President Trump or the government to arrest him. I don't want any of those things. It's not about that. Let's, not, let's, let's focus on what's really happening here. But I would appreciate Vanity Fair MSNBC sitting this guy down and saying, you can't be a journalist associated with ARG organizations if you're going to be Looney Tunes like this. And I think we can all agree that's not going to happen. Nobody at Vanity Fair is going to sit Gabriel Sherman down and say, dude, seriously? This makes us look bad. This embarrasses us. They're not going to say that. 
because of his political bent and, and because he blamed Trump, they're probably all in on that. They love it. Sadly, that's probably what's going on. But the point I'm trying to make here is that journalists need to be professional. So yes, continue to follow this Jamal Khashoggi story. Let's get to the bottom of it. And if Saudi Arabia and Crown Prince Salman had something to do with his alleged torture and murder, again, let's find out whether that really happened, then go for it. Journalists, non-journalists, politicians, everyone should get together and demand some, some kind of punishment for Saudi Arabia over this. But please, let's not forget that stuff like this is happening not only in Saudi Arabia every day to non-journalists, but it's happening in Iran, and you name the Arab Muslim country, it's happening every single day, and it must be addressed. And the fact that the journalism community has been covering this up by, by not covering it, the lie of omission, you could call it, that is what is unacceptable. That is what is unacceptable, and that has to stop. There has to be some self-criticism here. If we're going to go after the governments that do this, because one of our own journalists has been attacked or is missing, then it's time for us. It's a wake-up call. It's time for us to be better at what we're doing. And we're not doing it. And just because President Trump says mean things about the news media doesn't mean that it's time to go into full self-defense mode and decide that nothing matters anymore other than defending ourselves. That's not the way to be a professional. And we must be professional in this business because there are other Jamal Khashoggi's that have happened and will happen in the future. And as long as the public sees this as unprofessional, self-centered, or Looney Tunes like Gabriel Sherman, they won't listen to us anyway. And that has to stop. This has been Novak Now for this week. I'm Jake Novak. I hope to speak to you again real soon.